Good morning. Our second reading this morning comes to us from the Old Testament, from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 23, verses 1 through 6. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. Let us listen for God's word speaking to us this day. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who shepherd my people. It is you who have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. So I will attend to you for your evil doings, says the Lord. Then I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the lands where I have driven them. And I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will raise up shepherds over them who will shepherd them, and they shall not fear any longer or be dismayed, nor shall any be missing, says the Lord. The days are surely coming when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, And he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So today is Christ the King Sunday, that time of the church year when we prepare to say goodbye to the year that was and get ready for Advent. We wrap up the church year with Christ the King. And I always find myself struggling as a good American with King language, with ruler language. It's complicated, isn't it? We haven't had the best examples always of kings and rulers, whether they be in this country or around the world. So then we come to Christ the King, and it challenges us. It challenges what it is that we know about leadership and rulers. But I can't help it when I think of kings my mind goes to the latest television show I've watched or the movie that I've seen, The Crown, for example. Everyone's going there, right? But in particular, I've just re-watched The Game of Thrones. I will not show a clip of anything because it's not a show you'd want to show in church. But it is a wildly popular HBO series based on books written by George Martin. I love the first season so much that I picked up the books and just plowed through them. That show ran for eight seasons, earned huge ratings for HBO, won many Emmy Awards. It was so popular that it has spun off a prequel that is now showing on HBO. I'm not doing a plug for HBO, but it's a really good show. It tells the story of Westeros, a land of seven kingdoms that were united under one throne. The Iron Throne, united by the power of fiery dragons, domination, 
rigid rule. When the television show picks up, the dragons are long gone and only the humans remain. The current king, Robert Baratheon, is a self-centered and foolish man, a drunkard who cares more about his own desires than the needs of his family or of his kingdom. Unfortunately, the story proves that he is not alone. All of the people who are around him, who are meant to serve the kingdom, are as desperately flawed in their own particular ways. After the king is killed, sorry, that was a spoiler if you haven't seen the show, after the king is killed, the war rips apart the seven kingdoms. And the intrigue unfolds as Cersei, the queen regent, tries to protect her illegitimate son's claim to the throne. The books, more than the show, lift up the injustice to new heights. Filled with horror, I couldn't help but keep turning the pages as the common people in the story suffer at the hands of those scrambling to protect their own power, their own interest, their own grip on the way things are and the way they want them to be. Unfortunately, this kind of leadership is not just found in the pages of fiction. If you change the characters and the context just a little, you could easily be reading our history textbooks. Something tells me that the prophet Jeremiah knew a thing or two about the kinds of rulers found in the Game of Thrones. Jeremiah was a prophet's prophet. Frederick Beekner says that there was nothing in need of denunciation that Jeremiah didn't denounce. He went after all of it. Speaking in God's name, Jeremiah confronted kings and clergy. He confronted the rich for exploiting the poor and the poor for doing nothing but complaining. He denounced the many false gods and practices that enticed and distracted the Israelites. And when he was tired, just tired in his bones of always being so critical and having so much to denounce, Jeremiah even denounced God for calling him to be a prophet. Like I said, Jeremiah was a prophet's prophet. In today's passage, Jeremiah once again challenges the powers of his world. By this time, when Jeremiah was there, the kingdom of Israel had been divided into two kingdoms. The kingdom of Israel, which was in the north, and the kingdom of Judah, which was in the south, which included Jerusalem. Jeremiah was particularly active in Judah, in the southern kingdom around Jerusalem. He was called to speak for God to the southern kingdom of Judah during a time when the power of the Assyrian Empire was waning and the Babylonian Empire was growing. There was Judah caught in the middle of all of that. In the face of these global threats, the kings of Judah repeatedly demonstrated how their greed for power and wealth 
led them away from their call to provide for God's people. Their greed and their lust for power led them away from their call to provide justice for God's people. If you look back at chapter 21, Jeremiah underlines, illustrates, highlights big circles around their failures and frustrations. But here in the 23rd chapter, it is clear that Jeremiah is just tired. He's tired of it. He is tired of seeing God's people suffer. He is tired of seeing them suffer as the kings of Judah play their own version of the Game of Thrones. He says to them, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. If you look back at the preceding chapters, you can see that when Jeremiah uses the term shepherd, he is not talking about those who tend the sheep in the fields. He is talking specifically about the pastoral role of God's monarchs who were placed in charge of Judah and Israel. These leaders represented God to the people. They were supposed to tend to the welfare of the people. But by every measure, every measure they failed. These leaders who were supposed to care for God's people, but instead destroyed their lives and scattered them to the ends of the earth. In the face of their failure, God is faithful. God is faithful still. He speaks through Jeremiah saying to the people, don't worry, I've got you. I'm going to attend to those who scattered you. Don't worry, I'm going to bring you home. You will once again prosper and you will have no reason to fear. Don't worry. I know. I know there are all these empires that surround you, but they will mean nothing to you because the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when a righteous branch of David will rise up. Not these pathetic saplings of shepherds and monarchs that you have now, but a good, strong branch who will come and reign over you and protect All my people, even your brothers and sisters up there in the north in Israel. Jeremiah, don't forget, is talking to the people of Judah. But it is clear from his words that God has not forgotten his children in the northern kingdom of Israel. Having grown up in the south... I can't let it pass that God's promises came first to the southern people. I'm just saying. But the truth of the matter is, God's promises proclaimed here by Jeremiah were not just for those southern Hebrew people. God's promises proclaimed here by Jeremiah were never bound by geography, nation states, or bloodlines. God's promises proclaimed here by Jeremiah were for all of God's children throughout the world. All of those scattered far and wide. 
But how can these promises given so long ago be for us today? We don't have kings. We don't have rulers that have scattered us far and wide. Our world doesn't work that way anymore. Right? My guess is that we can relate more than we care to admit to the life and times of the people who lived when Jeremiah was alive. We know what it is like to live in a time when multiple world powers are on the rise. We know what it is like, especially as we move into this crazy holiday shopping season, to have different cultural powers trying to define us, trying to claim us as their own, trying to entice us to buy this and buy that so that we can feel good about who we are and what we can give to those around us. We know what it is like to have the loudest voices work to divide us and create tension and distrust. We know what it is like to watch as powerful private interests continue to shape the public good. We know what it is like to watch as leaders forsake the call to work for justice for all in an effort to maintain their own power and prestige. Unfortunately, we know what all of that is like. On Christ the King Sunday, we gather to give thanks that those powers have no power over us. On Christ the King Sunday, we come to give thanks for the righteous branch who came as a baby placed in a manger. We gather to give thanks for the person that baby grew to be, for the ways that he embodied God's love for us and for all people, for the ways we have been gathered into the kingdom of the beloved Son by his life-giving death and resurrection. We gather because we know the powers of this world are fickle, and are not strong enough to claim us. That they are not powerful enough to define our lives and worth. We gather and give thanks because in the person of Jesus Christ, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, God was pleased to reconcile all things back into the very heart of God. Confident of Christ's reconciling power in the world, we, like Jeremiah, are called to go out to confront the powers that fail to work for justice and peace for all God's children. We are called to speak truthfully to our brothers and sisters, saying, Don't worry. God is here. Don't worry. God is gathering us in as no one else can. I am new to the Rocky River family, visiting, but I am sure you can all speak to the many ways that this church community has been doing that work for as long as you have existed. For the ways that you have stood together to welcome the outcast and the stranger, to provide for the sick, to comfort the naked and hungry, 
On this Christ the King Sunday, we are called to remember who we are and whose we are, which informs everything that we do. And in our remembering, we are called to step up and step out to confront the powers of this world that are playing the game of thrones. We are called to stand together and cry out for justice. To stand together and serve as a vehicle for the power of God to work out reconciliation and peace. We are called to stand together in faith, knowing that we are the beloved shepherds of God's people. And to proclaim boldly that God's promises are not only for us, not only for those gathered here in this beautiful sanctuary, but for all God's children everywhere. Let us give thanks this day for Christ, our King, in whom the love of God dwelled, who defines for us what it means to be a ruler by being a servant of all, the righteous branch of David in whom we live and move and have our being. Thanks be to God. Amen.